2 uh, uh, Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be at. So if you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to find your way there, your place there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We've been looking here at the start of this year, at the start of 2020, a vision 2020, uh, vistas for the new year. And we've uh, taken a look at prevailing prayer, how God is calling us to be people who prevail, who continue in prayer. Last Sunday, we, we looked at storm survival. Um, surviving the storms of life and the things that we experience in life there with the storms. And, and, um, and, and so we looked at that today, overcoming self-reliance, overcoming self-reliance. The well-known philosopher of yesteryear, uh, Popeye the Sailor Man, <laughs> right? Popeye, Popeye the Sailor Man, he had a, had a creed by which he lived. Uh, those of you who are old enough to remember Popeye, do you remember his creed? Uh, I am, I am what I am, that's all that I am. You remember that? Yes? No? Some of you all do. Okay, there we go. Uh, those of you who are old enough to remember that, maybe we need to have like memory classes or something, I don't know. Uh, there are other more significant creeds, uh, documents, statements by which we live in the United States. Uh, some might say that the three most important documents written are the Bill of Rights that Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution. For 200 years, those documents have, have governed hundreds of millions of people. Uh, for 200 years, those documents have promoted good and restrained evil. And though not perfect, they have advanced civilization, defended, and the abused, the marginalized, the neglected. Wonderful documents ingrained into the fabric of our souls as American citizens is this spirit of dependence that find their root there. Oftentimes, which unfortunately today are being challenged by the rise of socialism in our country, this idea of socialism. But there are other popular creeds by which we live, not formalized, not ratified by any government, but yet creeds nevertheless, but nevertheless by which we live. God helps those who, there you go, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, yeah. Uh, you deserve a break today, yeah. Uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it. <laughs> Older people, you guys are charming in, chiming in, there you go, that's good, yeah. Uh, underneath, behind all these creeds is that theme that runs deep in the heart of the human, and that is a spirit of self-reliance. A spirit that says, I'm going to rely on no one but myself. A spirit that says, I'm not going to trust in anyone. I'm not going to be dependent upon anyone else but myself. Right? When we come to 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul, he wrote to a church that had maligned him. Uh, opponents had crept in and had spread a bad report uh, about uh, Paul questioning his character and ministry, twisting and perverting his doctrine and his teaching. And so Paul, in his, what is his most autobiographical letter to a church, reveals his heart, reveals his experience, his intense suffering, trouble, and affliction, which God used to address the spirit of self-reliance that even ran through the heart and life of the Apostle Paul. And although we live 
two millennia later, separated by time, culture, geography, the spirit of self-reliance has neither waned nor disappeared. And so the scriptures for us this morning will be a mirror into our own lives. Revealing to each of us this root of self-reliance that has affected and afflicted our lives. And so let's read God's word this morning. We'll begin there with the reading of God's word. And then I want us to begin to take a look at what the scriptures have to say about this spirit of self-reliance. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 8. We'll read down to uh, verse 11. Paul writes, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. I want you to notice the end of verse 9. Notice the end of verse 9. If you underline your Bibles, you mark your devices, notice what it says. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, I want you to know what happened to us. That what happened was to teach us something, was to reveal to us a a new way of living that we might not rely on ourselves, that we might not go through this life dependent upon ourselves. Instead, that we would depend on, rely on God who raises the dead. You say, what does it mean to rely on God who raises the dead? What does it look like to overcome self-reliance? Let's Three thoughts this morning, three ways I would like for us to consider the scriptures that will help us answer that question. What does it look like, what does it mean to overcome self-reliance? We'll begin by, by considering, number one, the manifestation of persistent self-reliance. The manifestation of persistent self-reliance. How does self-reliance manifest itself in our lives? In, in a word, the flesh. The flesh, right? When we look at verse 9, where it says, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. That word rely, used in verse 9, has a wide range of semantic meanings. It has the idea of uh, having confidence or being convinced to persuade, to urge, to follow, to trust, to uh, uh, be confident and that meaning of this, the, the, the domain, the, the, the root of this, this idea of re- word rely has ideas of coming to rely upon or coming to depend upon someone or something to put your trust, your confidence in someone or something. And so Paul here is saying, he says, this happened to us 
so that we would not put our trust, our confidence, that we would not depend upon ourselves or any other person. Instead, that we would put our trust, confidence, dependence on God, God alone. You know, we understand the idea of this word when, when we get married, right? We, we stand before the minister, before the witnesses, and, and we commit ourselves, we covenant with our, with our spouse into a marriage relationship. We, we put our trust in them. We, put, we rely on them. We come to depend on them. That's the idea that's used here. That we would not depend on ourselves. Instead, that we would depend on God. Now, Paul used this word rely. That's translated here in verse 9 as rely. Also in his letter to the Philippian church, Philippians chapter 3, where he said, uh, we talked, warned about uh, putting confidence in the flesh. Uh, verse 3, uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, says, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He's contrasting his life before Christ, after Christ. After Christ, he says, we now no longer put confidence in the flesh. This tenacious, persistent, relentless spirit of self-reliance manifests itself in and through the flesh. And all the scriptures identify for us that there's really only two ways to live. There's only two ways that, that you and I can, anyone can live in this world. And the first way is according to the flesh. Not just the physical appetites of our physical bodies, but the, the Bible describes life apart from Christ as according to the flesh. According to the, the values of this world system, according to the 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 belief system of this world, living according to the flesh, doing what we do, what we do, what we did before we came to Christ, doing what the world around us does, that's living according to the flesh. The other way to live is according to the Spirit. That God, when we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, we put our faith and trust in Him. When God gives us the new birth, He puts into us His Spirit and we are to live, uh, keep in step, walk according to the Spirit that now dwells within us, God's Spirit Himself. Scripture here says that the manifestation, the way that the Spirit of self-reliance shows up in our lives is according to the flesh. You say, what does it mean to live according to the flesh? I've given this to you before, but... Um, take those five letters of the word flesh, right? F-L-E-S-H, following long established sinful habits, right? That's the flesh. It's the, that way of relating, the way of we rely on the patterns of, say, so I'm going to make life work on my own by doing this. And there's a number of ways, long established sinful habits that we follow, this week I was just thinking about what are the ways that we follow long-established sinful habits. And I began to just make a list of ways that the flesh manifests itself in self-reliance in our lives. Let me share a couple thoughts with you. 
this list is neither exhaustive nor comprehensive. It just whets our appetite, illustrating how deep self-reliance runs through all of us. Prayerlessness, let's start there. Prayerlessness, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, you have Asa the king, the king of Judah. The Bible says that Asa, in the 39th year as king, he was afflicted with a foot disease. And the Bible says that Asa did not seek the Lord. And the last two years of Asa's life were lived the way he lived the rest of his life. Not seeking God. Not turning to the Lord. Not humbling himself. Not crying out to the Lord. I believe one of the primary reasons why we do not pray as we should is not that we don't have time. Not that we don't believe that prayer works. It's that we believe we can make it on our own. We can make it on our own. Right? Uh, this summer when I was at the prayer conference in Houston and Daniel Henderson was leading the prayer conference and Daniel said, by nature I'm fiercely independent. And he said this, he said, my prayerlessness is my declaration of independence from God. Prayerlessness. Uh, deception. Uh, deception, I believe, is, a, is another manifestation of the flesh at work in our lives. This week, reading in Isaiah for during my quiet times, the, the Lord brought his charge against the nation of Israel, Judah, his people. He said this in chapter 5, verse 18. He said that you pull sin along with deception like someone pulls a cart with ropes. Isn't that a picture, a good picture? Just like someone pulling a cart with a rope. You're pulling sin along whenever you practice deception. And so deception, just the, how quickly we, we, are, we live in half-truths or we live in fabrications or we manipulate people or we gossip and we talk about people and we're, we put on a false front. Manifestations of the flesh. We're scheming, manipulating, serving ourselves, protecting ourselves using deception Number three, a third way, uh, people-pleasing. People-pleasing. Uh, that word that's translated rely here in verse 9 of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul uses that word again in Galatians chapter 1. This time to the churches that in the region of Galatia. And here he writes, writes and uses that word in reference to um, giving a warning about seeking or trying to win the approval of man. And Paul says, whenever we seek the approval of man, whenever we begin to fear people more than we fear God, we no longer are servants of Christ. Amen. And so seeking to please people oftentimes becomes a manifestation of our self-reliance. Now here's the weird thing about self-pleasing uh, people. Pleasing people doesn't feel like self-reliance, does it? Because we, when we're trying to win somebody else's approval, we want to make sure that they're happy with us, we feel like we're very much... Uh, dependent upon them, not self-reliant. And yet the spirit of self-reliance is this, is I'm going to trust in someone other than God. Solomon warned in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, that the fear of man is a snare. It's a snare, it's a trap. Uh, number four, self-will, self-rule, self-will, self-rule. Uh, again, uh, Self-reliance manifests itself in self-will, self-rule. Proverbs chapter 15 warns 
that the one who ignores, the one who rejects, the one who despises correction brings harm to his own soul, to his own life. And so self-reliance, manifesting itself as self-rule, self-will, says this, I don't have to listen to God. The Bible might say that, but this is the 21st century. And I'm just going to do what I think I need to do. I don't heed correction. Or self-will, self-rule. I know God has placed somebody in my life as an authority, a parent, an employer, the government. But I'm not going to submit to them. I'm going to do my own thing. And that spirit of rebellion, self-will, self-rule, is a spirit of self-reliance, the manifestation of self-reliance. Number five, materialism. Materialism. Uh, To the church in Laodicea, Jesus wrote and said, you say you are rich and have need of nothing, but you do not know how poor, how naked, how blind you really are. Materialism. We can make it. We can buy it. We can learn it. We can fix it. We can overcome it. In in, uh, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7, David said, Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. There's there's two ways. I go through life. I can trust in the stuff I can produce buy, learn, overcome, fix, or I can go through life trusting in God. Materialism is a manifestation of self-reliance. You see what I'm saying? This, the manifestation of self-reliance is deep. It runs everywhere. It runs deep in the human heart. It, that's, this list is, like I said earlier, not, neither exhausted nor comprehensive. It just, it just whets the appetite. just gets us thinking. How does self-reliance manifest itself in my life? This week I came across a quote by A.W. Tozer. Can you identify this quote? The reason why many are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. Identify with that? You got to know, it's Groundhog Day. I'm going around in circles. I'm, I'm struggling with the same thing over and over again. Why is that? Haven't come to the end of yourself. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work in us, within us. Self-reliance, I want to remain at large and in charge of my life. I want to call the shots. I can't do it. And so Paul here, writing to this church in Corinth, he says, I want you to know what happened to us. This happened to us for this reason, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but instead that we would rely on God who raises the dead. Self-reliance ran through Paul's life, runs in our lives, and we just begin to take a look, and we just take some time just to think, reflect. Notice what the Scriptures have to say about this experience of self-reliance. Consider with me, number two, the means, the means of overcoming self-reliance, the means of overcoming self-reliance. And that means, as we're going to see here in a moment, is the word affliction, affliction. God uses affliction as the means to 
overcome a spirit, uh, this self, tenacious, persistent self-reliance that runs deep in our lives. A.W. Tozer, again, that pastor from the early part of the 20th century, pastor and author, uh, said this. He said, it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It is doubtful that God can bless a person greatly until he has first hurt him deeply. And so in order to bring about blessing, God uses uh, affliction. He hurts his people deeply. He wounds us deeply. He knocks out the props from our lives like Jacob who wrestled with God and had his hip thrown out of socket. And the Bible says that he walked the rest of his life leaning on the staff. His self-reliance was dealt with. God wounds us to deal with that, that self-reliance that runs in our hearts. Notice what, what Paul said there in beginning in verse 8, the first part of verse 9. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Paul says, we we don't want you to be uninformed about what happened to us in Asia. We don't know. We, you and I living here today, the scripture doesn't tell us what happened to Paul in Asia. Right? You read the commentaries and commentators, they have all kinds of, they speculate all kinds of things. I'm not going to take time to give you the speculations. The scripture is silent. Paul doesn't tell us what happened. The Corinthians evidently knew what had happened to Paul in Asia, but Paul Instead of telling us the details of what happened to him, he tells us the effect of those events in Asia that had on him. He says that we experienced trouble in Asia. That word trouble has the idea of affliction. It's the idea of being squeezed or pressed into a corner, right? Uh, Being squeezed or pressed into a corner. This isn't just having a bad day. Right, this kind of trouble that Paul's talking about, this affliction Paul talking about, this man, I hit every railroad track getting out of Saginaw, right? Now that's a bad day, but that's not a trouble, right? Now, man, I went to Dunkin' Donuts and I spilled coffee on my shirt before I got into the office. That's a a bad day, but that's not trouble. You, you understand what I'm saying? The word here is this is mountain moving, earth stopping, earth shattering things that happened. And he says, well, I want you to know what ha- the effect of what happened to us in Asia was. He says that we were, uh, number one, facing overwhelming pressure, overwhelming pressure. He says that we were under great pressure. The idea there is that of a burden. We were being troubled. We, there was a weight that just came over us, and it felt like we were being crushed under the burden. It was an overwhelming pressure that had come upon us. Have you ever experienced that? Feeling like you're being crushed by the obligation, by the demand, the pressure that is on top of you. Last Sunday, when we looked at surviving storms, I, I asked us to begin to um, reflect when we find ourselves in the storms of life. Begin to ask ourselves, how is Jesus coming to us in that storm? This week, I think there's another question that we ought to ask. How might God be using this pressure cooker 
to bring me to an end of myself? How is God using this pressure cooker to bring me uh, to the end of myself? Uh, overwhelming pressure. Uh, there was physical weakness. Uh, Paul says that we were, uh, that what we face in Asia was far beyond our ability to endure. Far beyond our ability to endure. Uh, the picture here is of an animal uh, carrying a great weight and it's buckling under the weight. Paul says we were facing something that was so great that it, it was affecting us physically that we were losing our physical strength. We weren't able to stand. We weren't able to go on. We weren't able to, to continue on under what this, this circumstance that we were facing. Overwhelming pressure, physical weakness, uh, emotional distress. So much so that we despaired of life itself, Paul said. They had become so despondent here that they were beginning to fall apart emotionally. They were losing their mental and emotional composure. They had become distraught. Paul says, we're, we're falling apart. We're falling apart in Asia. And then uh, finally, he says that the, the forecast was bleak. The forecast was bleak. Uh, we, 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 had this, we received this sentence of death. The sentence of death. And Paul says, what, the, what we were facing in Asia, it was as though we were, um, we were, we had just received a death sentence and there was no appeal process. The verdict was given and it was final. Again, we don't know if this was a literal judgment that which they faced from a magistrate that God delivered them from or if Paul was writing figuratively and says, man, what we were facing was as though we were staring death itself in the face. But he says, it was hopeless. Our future was hopeless. What was against us? Look again at verse 9. Paul says, but this happened. All of this happened. This overwhelming pressure, this physical weakness, this emotional distress, this bleak forecast, all of this happened so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Here's the point. Here's the point. God takes and uses the absolute worst to bring about the absolute best. God takes and uses the absolute worst to bring about the absolute best. In, in the worst moments of our lives, God is at work working his best. You say, what is his best? Pain-free, problem-free living, right? Right? All bills paid. Vacations in exotic places. That's the best. Amen? <laughs> Fantasy land. The best. Not problem-free, pain-free living. All bills paid. But that we don't rely on ourselves, 
but that we would rely on him. It's hard. It's painful. We're gonna, we, our, our flesh fights it tooth and nail. We don't want that. And yet, God's best is that we would come to learn to rely on him and no one else. Rely on him and nothing else. It is doubtful that God could ever uh, bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God uses affliction, trouble, to overcome self-reliance. The manifestation of self-reliance, the flesh, the means, affliction. Consider with me verses 10 and 11. The magnificence, like the M's, I worked on that one. The wonder, the beauty, the grandeur, the glory of renouncing self-reliance. You say, what is that? Resurrection life. Resurrection life. You say, what happens when, when God in his mercy works his grace in our lives to overcome the spirit of, overcome a, 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 a self-reliant tenacity in our lives. What happens when God's sanctifying grace begins to work in our lives? Look at verse 10. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Do you, do you sense Paul's certainty in this text? Do you see this outlook? Paul, Paul says, listen, we're, God is the one who raises the dead. We're resurrection people. It, he, he's, his outlook, he, he's not despairing for life. He's not buckling under the pressure of care. He, he's not in this pressure cooker of obligation. He's not staring at certain death. C.S. Lewis wrote, uh, said this, nothing that has not died will not be resurrected. Right? In order for a resurrection, something has to die. And Paul says, listen, I came to the end of myself and there's now life. Only the dead can be resurrected. And I don't know what the circumstances of your life is today, what those circumstances are. I want you to know this, is that God is working in those circumstances to, so we might not rely on ourselves, so that we would rely on God who raises from the dead and we would experience his resurrection life at work, at power in our lives today. Consider with me what, what the scripture has to say about this resurrection life. Resurrection life is one experienced through God's deliverance. Did you catch that in verse 10? Where Paul wrote about God's deliverance in the past, God's deliverance in the present, and God's deliverance promised. Right? He said he has delivered us from this deadly peril. Whatever that was in Asia, he delivered us. And he's going to deliver us again shortly. And we have set our hope on him because we know that ultimately he is going to deliver us. Finally, 
this week somewhere along the way I was reading. I can't remember where I read it. I just stuck in my head. And it said this. Uh, the believer, the Christian, is being either delivered um, from death or through death. You think about that. The believer is either being delivered from death or being delivered through death. And so whatever the circumstances of your life are, God's at work. And there's his deliverance is happening. It's at work, right? He has delivered us from this deadly peril past. He is going to deliver us shortly, present, and we know ultimately his deliverance is finally promised. Resurrection life is demonstrated through answered prayer. Verse 11, Paul says, you're helping us by your prayers. We're being helped by your prayers. Brothers and sisters, don't mistake the importance of praying for one another. Don't miss the opportunity to pray for one another. God uses the prayers of his people to help, strengthen, encourage, supply what is needed through the prayers of his people. You have a, someone's a, a face, a name comes to your mind, and your immediate response is to gripe and grouse about them. Pray for them. Lord, you know what they're facing today. For whatever reason that are on my mind, I lift them up to you today. You may know what they're facing. Pray for them. Lift them up. Right? God's resurrection life is demonstrated through the answers that God graciously gives to the prayers of his people. Finally, resurrection life is voiced through upturned thanks. Upturned faces giving thanks. Upturned faces giving thanks. The end of verse 11 then many will give thanks. That word many, then many literally is, then many upturned faces will give thanks. That, that's the literal translation of that. Many upturned faces will give thanks on behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Idea there is faces that have been turned up to God. There will be many faces turned up to God giving thanks for the favor of God. When we allow God to use the worst um, times in our lives to teach us to rely on Him, the result is many faces are turned up, voicing their thanksgiving to God. God who raises the dead. God who gives life to the dead is the God who does the impossible. And so I want to leave with you one verse and then I want us to just think about the sin of self-reliance. Okay, we'll be done. The verse, Psalm 50, verse 15. Reading a book on missions this week and this verse was in there and it was just like, ah, wonderful verse. The Living Bible paraphrases it this way. I, God speaking, I want you to trust me in your times of when? Let's say it again. I want you to trust me in, time, in your times of trouble so I can... Rescue you, and you can give me glory. <laughs> Resurrection life happens when we trust God in times of trouble. And as his deliverance comes, let's not rush past that. Let's give thanks. Give him the glory. The sin of self-reliance runs deep. It's a sin can't call it anything else. 
Trusting in someone, something other than the Lord is sin. And the most common manifestation of self-reliance is self-salvation. That I'll be a good person, that'll get me, I'll be okay with God. I'll, I'll clean up my life. I'll be religious. I'll be a moral person. I'll be generous with my, with the, with my money. I, I'll, I'll do this, I'll do that. Self-salvation is self-reliance. And it can never save. And so you and I, we must deal with the sin of self-reliance at the foot of the cross. Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for our sin, all of it. And the, the sin of self-reliance is there. And so if you have never confessed Jesus Christ, if you have never opened up your heart to him by faith, repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died at the cross to pay for your sin is the one who God raised from the dead. Through his resurrection, God gives life. You need, you must be saved. You must be born again. And so I ask you today to repent. I plead with you to repent of that. Come to him. Those of us who have confessed Christ as our Savior, the ongoing work of sanctification must happen. And God must deal with this sin in our lives. I trust that you will... Uh, allow God to speak to you. You'll respond to him in this matter.